Beloved, our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 33, verses 1 through 4. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with the harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Continue reading in the New Testament this morning. We'll pick up in chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. We'll read to the end of chapter 4. Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath were up to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? Or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised. 
that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be, which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. May God bless the reading of his beautiful and powerful word this morning. Beloved, our text for this morning is from Romans 4, verses 23 through 24, uh, within the context of the chapter. Now, it was not written for his, that is Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Together with that, we'll consider this morning Lord's Day 23. Lord's Day 23. Question and answer 59. But what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? Referring to the Apostles' Creed and the, the exposition of it. Answer that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. Question 60. How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that, though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Even so, 
as if I had never had had, nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Question 61. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? Answer. Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Well, in our study of the Apostles' Creed and the Heidelberg Catechism, we've come to the end, come to the conclusion and the application of all that we've considered from Lord's Day 7 to Lord's Day 23. And I want to summarize for you briefly the key points that we learned in each of those Lord's Days, just to help solidify it in our minds this morning, what it is that we believe when we say, I believe. Well, Lord's Day 7 explains true faith, what it is and how it functions. True faith grounded in the gospel, summarized in the Apostles' Creed. Lord's Day 8 explains how the triune God works for the salvation of sinners. God the Father in our creation, God the Son in our redemption, God the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Lord's Day 9 then speaks of the fatherhood of God, how it's enjoyed through faith in Christ, how believers are upheld by the hand of the Father. Lord's Day 10 sets before us the providence of God, the comfort of belonging to God, and it speaks of God's inseparable love for those who believe in Him. Lord's Day 11 sets out the exclusivity of Jesus as the Savior of sinners. Lord's Day 12 explains the threefold office of Christ as our King to rule us, as our prophet to teach us, as our priest to atone for our sins. Lord's Day 13 highlights the sonship of Christ and His full accomplishment of redemption for sinners. Lord's Day 14 highlights the mediatorial work of Christ. You remember, children, how last week we considered what a mediator was, a bridge. Jesus Christ is the bridge between sinners and God. The mediatorial work of Christ through His humanity. Lord's Day 15 shows the centrality of the sufferings of Christ in order for atonement to be made. Lord's Day 16 teaches that the humiliation of Christ is necessary for atonement, for deliverance from eternal torment to those who believe in Him. Lord's Day 17 displays the resurrection of Christ as a believer's righteousness. He was raised for our justification, Paul says in our text. Because Christ is risen again, He's the guarantee of our own resurrection to those who believe in Him. Lord's Day 18 speaks of the ascension of Christ as our advocate before the Father, as the one who wears the names of His people on His breast and on His shoulders as the high priest. 
Lord's Day 19 teaches the session or the setting down of Christ on the right hand of the Father as the head of His body, as the judge of the living and the dead. Lord's Day 20 speaks of the divinity and the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord's Day 21 sets forth the victory of the church through its head. It speaks of the communion of the body. It speaks of the forgiveness of sins that is attainable through Christ for those who believe. Lord's Day 22, as we heard last Sunday evening, proclaims the unshakable hope of eternal life for a believer anchored in Christ, in heaven. What we have here in the Apostles' Creed is really a summary of the gospel. I believe all of these things. But now what? What does all this mean when a sinner embraces all of this by faith? What are the implications of that? Well, Lord's Day 23 is very clear that the implications of embracing and appropriating these glorious truths The person of the triune God means that a person is justified before God because you're not just believing the Apostles' Creed. You're believing in God, in God the Father, in God the Son, in God the Holy Spirit. There is not just a relationship with certain doctrines. There's a relationship, a living relationship with God Himself. A person is justified before God in Christ. As we move through these Lord's Days, we see the work of the triune God and the redemption of sinners, how God comes again and again to save sinners. That this is who God is for sinners, very specifically. When you believe this, with your mind and with your heart, when you make confession of this, Believing all of this leads to eternal life, as question and answer 59 points out, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. But how does this happen? Well, that's where the next two Lord's Days focus our attention. How a person is justified by faith in Christ. And so what I'd like to do over the next three Sundays with God's help is to focus on the doctrine of of justification as it's set before us in Lord's Day 23 and Lord's Day 24. This morning we'll consider Lord's Day 23, the summary of Romans 4. And then next Lord's Day, which is in which we commemorate the Reformation, we'll consider Romans 5. And then the Lord's Day after that, we'll consider uh, Lord's Day 24 of the Catechism and a summary of Romans 6. So over the next three Sundays, we'll cover Romans 4 through 6 with God's help. So this morning, as we consider the questions of the Heidelberg Catechism, particularly question 60, how art thou righteous before God? We'll consider Romans 4. Paul uses Abraham here as a case study as an Old Testament case study of justification, of how God makes a sinner right with himself. Abraham was an Old Testament figure who was justified by God. Abraham, in a sense, serves as a pattern for all those who believe after him. And so our theme this morning is it wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't just 
for Abraham. As we consider this theme this morning, we want to answer three important questions. Three important questions and the lessons to be learned from those questions. Questions that you'll see in the sermon info sheet in front of you. I encourage you to keep your Bible open as we move through this important and helpful chapter as we answer these three questions of how Abraham was justified and how sinners are justified, declared righteous before God. And so the first question this morning that we need to answer is, if it wasn't just for Abraham, how was Abraham justified? As Paul continues his argument from following from Romans 3, Paul is concerned to show how every single human being has fallen short of God's glory. Paul levels the playing field for all of humanity. All of humanity has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one of us can attain to the righteousness that God requires. Not one of us can attain to the standard of God's holy law. And Paul is clear when we realize that. We'll come before God with silence. Our mouths will be stopped before a holy God. We'll have no answer. We'll have no rejoinder. We'll have no, no comebacks to God. We'll stop with our yes buts. We'll cover our mouths and say, Lord, you are right. I'm a sinner. But how can I be made right with you? You see, we deserve death. We cannot elevate ourselves over the heathen or over anyone else because of religious upbringing or background or participation in the life of the church. If sin levels the playing field, then no one can can elevate themselves. Our mouths are stopped before God and before one another. We take our rightful position before a holy God and we say, I'm a sinner. And so what is the only way to be righteous before God? Paul is clear in Romans 3, isn't he? Very clear. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's only one way to be justified before God, and it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul has been driving to this point throughout his argument in Romans. The Jew doesn't have a distinct advantage over the Gentile. The heathen doesn't have an, an, an advantage over, God, over, over others either before God. The playing field is level. The only way to be righteous is through Christ, by faith. Paul concludes that there is no advantage of one person over another. And at the end of Romans 3, verse 30, he says, Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, so the Jew, by faith, and uncircumcision, the Gentile, through faith. And so in our search to be made right with God, Paul gives us the answer. It is God that justifies. That's where our focus needs to be this morning. 
It is God that justifies. It is God that justified Abraham. In verses 1 through 3, Paul contrasts the role of faith and works. Paul highlights that Abraham was the father of the Jews according to the flesh. What did he find, asks Paul in verse 1? If Abraham was justified by what he did and how he performed, Paul says he would be able to boast in the flesh. Not in God, but in the flesh. Abraham could have looked at what he had done and said, it's on the basis of of what I have done that, that has earned me a right standing with God. It's on the basis of what I've done that God accepts me. He could pride himself on this, boast in himself and say to his posterity, if you want to be right with God, you work hard. You make yourself acceptable to God. Children, it's like this. Sometimes when you feel the displeasure of your mom or your dad, when you've done something wrong, what's your, what's your first thought? I need to be made right with mom and dad. And so you, you try to do better, don't you? You want to do better. You want to do better next time. You want to do good things so that, that mom and dad look at you again with favor. So their displeasure will, will fade into the background and they see all the good things that you're doing and, and they'll say, come here, come here, son. Come here, daughter. They'll receive you back into their embrace because of the good things that you've done. You see, it's a picture of what we try to do with God. We try to, to do better the next time we sin and we think, how can I be right with God again? We want to do good things. We try to do better when we're convicted of sin. We try to earn our way back into the favor of God so that God will think better of us. What's at the heart of that? At the heart of it is the focus is on ourselves. The focus of our salvation or our desire to be right with God is is on ourselves and what we can do. And how we feel and how God will receive us. It's not on the God who justifies. And so it's not by the things that we do. It's not by trying to do better that we earn favor with God. It is not that we justify ourselves, that we make ourselves right with God by doing good things. It is God who who declares sinners right before Him. But how? Well, verse 3 gives us the answer. Scripture says in verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God when God said that Abraham could not live up to his standards on his own. How did God tell him this? When God made a covenant with Abraham, we know that those animals were separated and and laid on the altar. And what happened when those animals were laid on the altar and, and God came? He caused Abraham to sleep a deep sleep and God passed through those pieces of animal himself. He took on him the obligations of the covenant himself. 
for himself and for Abraham. He took on himself both of the obligations from both sides. It was there that Abraham learned he could not justify himself. He could not earn his own salvation. He had to rely on God. He had to accept God's standard. He had to accept the terms of God's grace. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. By receiving God's terms, by accepting God's terms of acceptance with himself, Abraham was declared right. Because what did that sacrifice look to? It ultimately looked to Calvary, didn't it? It pointed to Calvary for Abraham, to Christ. So Abraham saw something there of Christ as he looked ahead by faith. As he looked ahead, he was made right, declared right by God through faith. Do we realize what it says here? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham did better, and God received him. No, Abraham believed. He cast himself on the mercy of God. He trusted. He took God at his word. He when, when, when God took Abraham's sin and forgave it, he, he credited righteousness to Abraham. Abraham believed God's terms. He believed God's promise of a coming redeemer, of a coming seed. Abraham was not justified by works, but by faith in who God is and what God says. That's how a sinner is justified today, too. And so it wasn't just for Abraham. These things were written for us as well, beloved. So that we too might believe in God and that it might be counted to us for righteousness. In verses 4 and 5, Paul contrasts the reward of works and faith. If salvation and justification was by works, then God would owe us something. Grace would no longer be grace. It would no longer be unmerited favor because then our works and Abraham's works would merit something. God would then be a debtor to us. But God is never a debtor to sinners. Rather, when we believe and it's counted to us for righteousness, we become debtors to grace. We owe God our lives, but of thankfulness. The reward is not of works, because then grace would cease to be grace. But the reward for those who believe, for those who cease from their own works, from those who cease from trying to find something to move the needle of acceptance with God, what is it? Verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. When we trust in God, God looks at us through Christ. So the reward is not of, of works, but it is of grace, you see. It is by faith. We believe on him that justifies the ungodly. It doesn't leave any room for self-improvement, does it, this morning? If God justifies the ungodly, he, he justifies those who are sinners. Not just those, no, He doesn't justify those who have done every good work that can ever be counted. 
when God justifies the ungodly. He does just that. He declares them righteous in the words of the catechism as if they had had no sin or ever had sinned. Right, holy, just before God. What does it mean that faith is counted for righteousness? This is where answer 61 of the catechism is extremely helpful giving a succinct summary of what it means. Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. So faith's reward is only of grace. Abraham's faith was reckoned or counted as righteousness. Not because of his faith, but because his faith rested in the promise of God. It rested in God. The righteousness of God as it was revealed in Christ and his forgiveness of sin. So faith is not that which saves us in the end. It is Christ who saves us. But faith is the instrument by which we receive Christ, by which we receive the righteousness of Christ, by which we receive the obedience of Christ, by which we receive all the benefits of Christ, by which we receive Christ Himself. So faith is instrumental. Faith is vital. Faith is important. But it is Christ that saves. So the focus and justification should not just be on our faith. It should be on Christ who saves Only then can we understand the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. That it's not our righteousness, it's not our good deeds, but it's Christ alone in whom we believe by faith, in whom we are justified. In verses 6 through 8, Paul then goes on to show how not only Abraham, but also David was justified in this way. Paul quotes the words of Psalm 32. David describes the man who receives the righteousness of God by faith. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So how is Abraham justified? Declared right before God as if he had never sinned. How is David justified? Declared right as if he had never sinned. By faith. In Christ Jesus, in his propitiation, his atoning work. It wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't just for David. It was written so that you and I might be justified before God in Christ. Because this is exactly the same way in which God justifies sinners today. Abram's held up as an example, as a, as a case study. And so we need to conclude this morning that it's not by works, it's by faith. By faith, the faith by which you receive Christ. There's a double imputation that happens when a, a sinner believes in Christ. Your sin is reckoned, it's counted to Christ. So your sin, God takes from off of you and and lays upon Christ. The righteousness, the obedience, the holiness of Christ, God takes and, and imputes, it counts for the sinner. As if they had never sinned, and it's through Christ that God now sees the sinner as if he had never sinned before. 
when you believe what has been revealed in the gospel, summarized in the Apostles' Creed, we must confess that we are justified in Christ alone, by faith alone, to the glory of God alone. It's not what my hands have done, but it focuses back on what Christ has done as the great Redeemer of His people. So how was Abraham justified? Not by works, but by faith in God. Faith in the promise. Faith in the unseen realities of the promise that Abraham could not see with his eyes, but could see by faith. So too, sinners are justified today. It wasn't just for Abraham. Abraham looked forward to Christ. We are called to look backwards to Christ. To the realities of the gospel. Justified by faith. The second question is this. When was Abraham justified? As Paul continues to show how sinners are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, he's concerned to show that Abraham was not justified through circumcision, through the keeping of the law. The Jewish reader would be wondering about circumcision. What, what role did circumcision have in justification? What role did, did adherence to, to the religious code, to the religious law have in justification? Paul deals with this burning question of the, question of the Jewish mind in verse 9. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. It raises the question of when was Abraham justified? Because that will answer the question, is justification only for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? Well, the Jewish person would probably want to reply this way. Well, surely only the circumcised, those who have all the outward marks of a religious person conforming to God's law, will be justified. They elevated themselves above the heathen who did not have the law, who did not have the covenants, who did not have the adoption, as Paul writes in Romans. But because of sin, the playing field has been leveled. So how then can the uncircumcised be justified? Will an outwardly religious life and conformity to God's law render you and me justified before God? Is that really enough for us this morning? As long as we warm the pew, as long as we read our Bibles, as long as we say our prayers, as long as we say the right things and do the right things and look like the right kind of people, is that enough? All the outward forms there? Paul reasons in verse 10 with a counter question. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? When was the time of Abraham's justification? Listen to Paul's answer. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. 
That's an astounding answer, isn't it? Abraham's circumcision, or lack thereof, did not move the needle of God's acceptance for him. It wasn't the outward adherence to a ritual. He was justified when he was still in the Ur of the Chaldees. He was justified when he was still living in in the tents of his fathers, when he was still worshiping the idols of his fathers. God called him. God justified him. God declared him right when he was still uncircumcised. It was in that season of his life that he was was justified before God. It was in that time that he believed God and his promises. Paul draws that same line of reasoning all the way through to Romans 5.8. It's not circumcision, it's not uncircumcision. The point is this, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not an outward sign then through which God accepts us. God is after our hearts this morning, you see. By answering this question of when was Abraham justified? The answer is very important. God justifies the ungodly. God does not justify those who have it all together on the outside. He calls sinners to repentance. So it's not circumcision, it's not baptism, it's not keeping all the the outward rules that makes us acceptable to God. What is it then? When a person who is a sinner believes on Christ as their only righteousness, as their only hope of salvation, only then are they justified. But if Abraham was justified as an uncircumcised man out of unbelief and idol worship, what role then did circumcision play? Wasn't that a mark of Abraham's faithfulness? No, not at all. Rather, in verse 11, Paul writes that circumcision was a seal, a guarantee of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised. So what Paul is saying here is that God justified Abraham when he was uncircumcised. And then God commanded him to be circumcised, which was an outward mark of that which had happened prior to his circumcision. An outward mark, an outward seal, an outward guarantee of that which had already taken place on the inside. Abraham had to look forward to Christ. He relied on the promise of the coming Christ. Circumcision was a seal that Christ would come as God had promised. Circumcision was the guarantee that Abraham's sins were were cut away through the blood of Christ. But there's more significance to the sign and seal of circumcision. It was the guarantee that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. The father of all those who believe in Christ regardless of their status of circumcision. If Abraham had been justified only as a circumcised man, then the Jews could boast in their circumcision. 
than the religious man today could boast in his religion and say, it is my religion that makes me right with God. It's my seeking that makes me right with God. But now Paul is going to reason and he's going to say because Abraham was justified when he was uncircumcised, he now is qualified to be the father of all those who believe in Christ, regardless of their status of circumcision. What Paul is doing here is showing how the gospel opens up, not just to the Jew, but also to the Gentile, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. Circumcision was an outward and temporary sign, though a significant sign and seal in the old economy of salvation. Verses 11b through 17 makes it abundantly clear that circumcision was not merely an outward sign, but it was a sign of something deeply inward and significant of God's faithfulness in salvation, in justifying the ungodly, both the uncircumcised and the circumcised. Verse 11b states expressly that Abraham believed in a state of uncircumcision, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So then justification wasn't just for Abraham. It was for all those who believed in a similar pattern so the focus might be on God's stupendous grace, God's amazing faithfulness. Let's follow that logic for a moment from verses 12 through 17. Those who believe are justified just like Abraham. It's through faith that sinners are declared righteous in Christ. When a sinner believes they are connected to Christ in union with Christ, as Paul is going to explain in Romans 6. And when a sinner is in union with Christ, God looks at a sinner through the lens of His Son and the work of His Son, the obedience of His Son, the righteousness of His Son. And He says, that sinner who believes in My Son is righteous. The words of the catechism as if they had never sinned or had any sin. The promise of righteousness for Abraham and his seed did not come through the keeping of the law. Rather, Paul points out the law only exposes sin in verses 14 and 15 and makes them liable to the wrath of God. Those are heavy words, beloved. If we, are, if we are relating to God on the basis of what we're doing, of trying to, to make ourselves better, of trying to find something apart from Christ, we are earning the righteous wrath of God. But God calls us this morning to accept the terms of His salvation, of His grace, of His acceptance with Himself through Christ. Faith. The instrument. Faith is connected to Christ. When we believe in Christ, when a sinner believes in Christ, it highlights God's free grace. It highlights God's almighty power to 
declare a sinner righteous, not because of something in us, but because it's all centered in Jesus Christ, you see. We are justified by faith in Christ. That brings us to the last question this morning that we need to answer in regards to Abraham and justification and our own justification. How was Abraham justified? When was Abraham justified? Why was Abraham justified? So why was Abraham justified? Justified to bring him into relationship with God on a personal level. Justified to be the father of many nations, to be the father of all those who believe, as we've already seen. Children, where did God tell Abraham to look when he made that covenant with him? He told him to look to the sky. You see all the stars that dotted the sky. You try to count them, Abraham. Your seed that comes after you will be as numerous as the stars, beyond number. As the sand on the shore of the sea, you try to count the grains of the sand. Your seed, Abraham, will be innumerable, unable to be counted. The father of all those who believe. Abraham was justified to represent in God's covenant both those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised. Paul is using Abraham here as a representative figure, a unifying figure in God's economy of grace. To demonstrate that salvation is for both the Jew and the Gentile, he's opening up the gospel here. Also for us this morning, by teaching us these truths, by using Abraham as an example for us, he's teaching us that salvation is available and possible for sinners. Glorious reality that God justified Abraham when he was uncircumcised. Underscoring the point that God justifies the ungodly. God justifies sinners. In the words of Jesus, I came to save sinners. I came to call sinners to repentance. Those who are whole don't need a physician. Those who are whole don't need a doctor. God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the sin sick. God saves sinners. Religious sinners. And non-religious sinners. Just as Abraham looked ahead to the coming seed and trusted in the righteousness of Christ, who is the fulfillment of that seed, so sinners today look back at that seed and its fulfillment in Christ and are justified by faith in Him. All those who trust in Him are declared righteous before God. That's the point that Paul makes in these closing verses. It wasn't just for Abraham, you see. It wasn't just for Abraham. Justification was not just so that Abraham might be saved. 
So declare to you and me that just as Abraham was saved, so God saves sinners today. Abraham believed God's promise. And that's for our encouragement. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. In verse 20 we read that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham believed the promise. God spoke to Abraham. And Abraham believed the promise of a coming Redeemer. Abraham believed the promise that he would be the father of many nations. He'd be the father of all those who believed in terms of the covenant. Now we know that Abraham's faith was not always perfect. He questioned. He laughed. He took matters into his own hands. He doubted. But this is God's final verdict on Abraham's life. He took hold of the promise of God, who against hope believed in hope. He trusted the word of God to him, that God would be his savior in the coming seed. When he believed, it was counted to him Imputed to him for righteousness. And so we are justified by faith in the promise of God. In the word of God. Justification doesn't happen apart from what God speaks in his word. So when God declares to us that he is the savior of Abraham and is also, can also be the savior of sinners today, God means what he says. When God promises salvation through his son, you are called to believe that promise, to repent of your own sin, of your own self-sufficiency, and, and, and come to shipwreck, as it were, on the promise of God in Christ Jesus. To hope against hope. To believe in hope. Not to stagger at the promise of God. Sure, there will be times of downwards belief. Times of doubt. And yet is the trajectory of your life one of faith. One of trusting the promise. Trusting the word of God. Strong in faith. Giving glory to God. There are times when we feel anything but strong in faith. But God is able. God is able. Because Abraham believed God's power as well. It's seen from verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead when he's about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. In the midst of that barrenness, in the midst of human possibility, what provided hope for Abraham? It was the power of God who would bring life out of death for him personally in his own soul, but in the womb of Sarah. In the, when it came to the, the very promise of God and the fulfillment of the promise of God, it seemed like a dead end. 
He was weak in body. They were close to death. Certainly not the time of fertility and, and hope in terms of giving birth. But we read that Abraham believed in the power of God, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Abraham couldn't see the birth of the seed in those moments. But he believed God. He believed in the power of God who quickens the dead, who makes alive the dead. He went back to his time in Ur of the Chaldees and he considered God who had called him from death to life. And he said if God can do that, he can bring life into the womb of Sarah. He believed in the power of God. What seemed bleak and hopeless to Abraham's eye was not so when viewed from the perspective of the power of God. Abraham believed God's power would perform that which he could not do. From a human perspective, Abraham and Sarah were impotent when it came to conception and birth. But God was able. What is impossible with you and with me this morning is possible with God. God calls the dead to life. God will fulfill His promise and His word just as He said. Because He's God. Because He's Almighty God. Because He's powerful God. Salvation is a very real possibility this morning. That when you believe in Christ and all that is summarized in the gospel, the power of God declares you righteous before God because what you could not do in that you are dead. God has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed God's power. But it wasn't just for Abraham. So that you might believe on his power as well this morning. And then Abraham believed God's performance. He believed that what God had promised and was able to do, he would also perform. Verse 21, we read these words, being fully persuaded of this. Abraham could not see the future. He could not see Christ with the physical eye, yet his soul safely trusted in God's performance of what he had promised. That he would do exactly as he said. He found rest there. He learned through difficult lessons that his way was not God's way after Hagar and Ishmael. It was not the seed. He painfully learned that it was not in his performance. That the promise would come to fruition. He learned that it was in God's performance of these things. He couldn't see the future. He couldn't see the end. But he knew that God had it. He knew that God would perform 
what he had promised. And what do we read as the conclusion of Abraham's faith in verse 22? Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Faith relies on God's promise. Faith relies on God's power. Faith relies on God's performance. Paul says now in Romans 1, the righteousness of God is revealed. Christ has been revealed. The promise has been performed and and brought to full fruition. Just like Abraham looked ahead to the fulfillment, we look back to the fulfillment. Just as Abraham's faith was the instrument by which he received that righteousness of God as it was revealed in the promise. So faith is the instrument by which you and I receive the righteousness of God as revealed in Jesus Christ when we believe. It was imputed to him. It was reckoned to him. That's an accounting term. Abraham's sin was deleted, wiped out from his account. The righteousness of God was credited to his account. God's performance was written on Abraham's account. But it wasn't just for Abraham. His life is a powerful testimony of God's saving grace. It's a wonderful encouragement this morning for sinners to take hold of God's promise, of God's power and performance of that which he has promised. Paul says in verse 23, but it is for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses was raised again for our justification. Sometimes it seems that Abraham's life is so foreign, so distant to us, so distant from our reality. But what the gospel proclaims this morning is that just as the righteousness of Christ was imputed to Abraham by faith because of God's grace, so the same God imputes the same righteousness to sinners today if we believe on Jesus Christ. If we believe in God's promise and power and performance, it's available this morning, beloved. Now, it was not written for His sake alone, that it was imputed to Him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on Him who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ. So God comes this morning. He calls you to believe for the first time in His Son. He calls you to believe again in His Son for that which you cannot do, but for that which God is able and willing and gracious to perform, to declare you righteous before God. Not, account of your, not on account of your faith, but on account of the merits and the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. Just as Abraham was justified. Amen. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We pray that it would find entrance into hearts and lives, transforming 
sinners would be declared righteous before thee. Lord, bless thy word. Thy spirit, take it further, bringing it home with power for the glory of thy name, for the glory of thy promise, for the glory of thy power, for the glory of thy performance. Hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.